Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Discover Blind Spots podcast, where we believe what you don't see can actually hurt you. My name is Tim Riddle, and I'm excited to share with you an interview that I had several months back, uh, probably, I don't know, three or four months ago, two or three months ago, and it's with Travis Meadows. Travis is a singer-songwriter out of Nashville, just if, if you don't know Travis, maybe you know some of the people that he's written songs for, like Dirks Bentley and Kenny Chesney and Jake Owen and Eric Church and Lindsey L and Brothers Osborne and Hank Williams Jr. and Winona Judd. That's just a, a few names on that star-studded list that Travis has collaborated with. I got to know Travis by listening uh, to a podcast. I was introduced to him, and he has this song that he wrote, Sideways, which I quoted in the book, and we talk about it in the podcast, so I won't cover it again here. But I don't know why it took me so long to get the podcast um, uploaded. To be honest with you, I think I might have been intimidated uh, a little bit. I'm a huge fan of Travis, and I can't believe how gracious he was, his manager was. When I reached out, I mean, they don't know me from Adam. And I just sent an email and said, hey, I'd love to interview Travis. Is that a possibility? I happen to be in Nashville. He said, they said, sure, we'd be glad to do that. And so, you know, I thought maybe he would show up and give me 10, 15, 20 minutes. We talked for an hour and 15 minutes. And then he was probably there for another 20 minutes beyond that. I, I couldn't I couldn't believe it. You know, sometimes when you meet people that you um, that you admire or that you're a fan of, uh, when you meet them, then that image kind of deteriorates a little bit because they're not what you had set them up to be. Well, let me just tell you, he was far more than that. Um, just could not have been more gracious, uh, transparent honest, truthful, raw, um, with his time, with his comments, telling his story. If you don't know Travis's story, you're going to be in for a treat. So, as I said, we talked for an hour and 15 minutes. I thought about cutting it down, and I thought, heck no, I'm not going to do that. I mean, it's just too much great stuff here. So if you can't listen to it all in one sitting, listen to part of it, stop, pause it, whatever, and go back and listen to the rest. I'm just going to tell you, you will be encouraged um, and inspired by this story. So, here we go, my interview with Travis Meadows. Well, Travis Meadows, thanks for... Thanks for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Great to be here. Yeah, this is, I'm a huge fan. Wow, we, we were talking uh, off the mic, but uh, for the audience, I thought I would uh, just sort of uh, share a little bit of that story. I first heard you, I'm a huge fan, but I've only been a fan for about a year okay. because that's when I first heard about you. And I was listening to uh, the Bobby Bones podcast, the Bobby cast that you were on there. I was driving one night and I was flipping through and saw Travis Meadows, new podcast. Let me listen to this. And immediately as I started listening to it, I heard your story and was captivated. Mm. 
and uh, just loved your the authenticity, the transparency, and I hope you'll you'll you know we'll be able to share some of that with sure. uh, with with my audience. But uh, but also uh, there was a song on there that we'll talk about when we get to it. But uh, the song's called Sideways, as obviously you know. Mm -hmm. But I heard a little bit of that song on the podcast, and so then I looked it up, started listening to it, and it was right in the middle of writing this book mm. called Blind Spots, What You Don't See Can Hurt You. And I listened to the song sideways, download the lyrics, read the lyrics. And then as I was writing and in the middle of days where I might have a little writer's block and open up the computer and look at the blank screen, all I had to do was just turn on sideways and I would put my headphones on listened to it two or three times, and then it just sort of opened the floodgates. And I thought, wow, he, he must have been reading my mail because that song was just perfect uh, for this book. Well, that, that song was really important to me, too. It was a address some issues that I needed to, you know, address in my own heart. Yeah. A lot of times I, I don't know how I feel about a situation until I write about it. You know, sometimes it's, it's a way for me to process information, something I'm thinking about. Yeah. you know going through or whatever and uh, and so it helps me to uh you know to process things and and that was uh, uh was a really important song to me too yeah so we'll uh we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute it's funny you said that because when i was writing that chapter you were kind enough to let me quote uh some of the lyrics of that song in the uh in the book and when i was writing that chapter um i was was talking about just certain blind spots that we have and that section fell in a section that I entitled layers and when I got to the end of that chapter I uncovered some stuff in me that I had not intended to write at the beginning of that chapter right and I think your song really helped me helped me do that 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 when we look at you know some of our blind spot stuff sometimes we got to get through those layers and as you as you say in that song, you know, you push that stuff out, it comes out sideways. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think uh, music is a pretty powerful tool because we, um, even reading books sometimes will be a little guarded to make yeah. sure, well, I, I, you know, I'll process this and see what I'll let in and what I won't, you know. But with music, it's so disarming. Right. And it'll kind of sneak in and, 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 you know, and start kind of cutting and doing a little surgery before you realize what was going on and stir something or un uncover something. And uh, so it's, it's a powerful thing. Music yeah. is absolutely uh, powerful and, and necessary, I think, you yeah. know, for us to kind of be complete individuals. Music kind of completes us. And, you know, sometimes it'll, it'll put into words what we can't put into words for ourselves, you know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's almost like it feels like it creates some feeling first and then allows us to have some words to it maybe after that yeah so um i wondered if you would um i know uh, obviously a, a little bit about your story and as i as i mentioned i heard that and i've done lots of reading and so forth uh, over the over the time and uh, then one other thing i would mention i i got a chance to see you i don't know if you remember but uh in elkin you were playing and uh i stuck around afterwards i know you meet a lot of people and um my wife and i came we were we got front row there and we were watching and and so she said you gonna stick around to meet travis afterwards and i said 
I'd like to, but I don't know if I should. Mm. And, and the reason is because, you know, sometimes you, you, you build somebody up and then you meet them and then maybe, you know, it's not what you thought maybe or you're just, what's, what's the old saying of, you know, never meet your heroes. That's right. That, they may let you down. That's exactly right. But let me tell you, you didn't, you were very kind and, um, you know, very gracious. And I shared a little bit about, uh, my story and you just you know you 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 treated me like i was the only person you had tons of people lined up to meet you so i just want to thank you for that well it's my pleasure I, anybody that uh, I, i'm just so grateful that anybody would care enough to listen much less show up to a show so I, you know it's important to me to yeah i learned a long time ago that you treat everybody the same not because they could potentially help you later but because it's the right thing to do mm. you know i remember i was um in a, in a darker part of my life i um had some court things that I and my lawyer, uh, we we needed to go down and get some papers, and they usually take a couple weeks to get sent to you. He said, "Well, let's just walk down. I know somebody down there." And we walked down, and and he asked for this lady uh, by name. You know, I'll make a name up. Sarah, is Sarah here? And she said, "Yeah, let me go get her." And went and got her, and she came up, and he said, "Hey, I need a, you know, whatever the form was." She said, "Oh, well, let me go get that for you." And then while she's gone, he said, "Me and my father used to eat at this restaurant every day, and she was uh, a waitress there." And my father was always really good about um, teaching me to treat everybody kind and mm -hmm. respect, you know, because mm -hmm. you just never know where you're going to mm -hmm. come up with them later. And and he said, so we would go in there and we would, you know, just made friends with her. And now she's working in here. And anytime I need a favor mm -hmm. because we were nice to her back then. And I think it's important to, to be nice to people, yeah. you know, and not again, not that they can help you, but you never know. It's just it's a, it's a good habit to be in to treat everybody with kindness, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for that. So. Um, why don't you, you know, I know that your story has all kinds of layers to it. Mm -hmm. um, and why don't you just sort of jump in? I know there's, um, I know you struggled um, with some, with some cancer. Mm -hmm. I, I know you uh, struggle with some addiction and things of that nature. But uh, uh, for those who may not, you know, that, you know, maybe like me that didn't know you and know that part of your life or really, you know, kind of where, what brought you to where you are today. Mm -hmm. I always like to close those gaps for people. Sure. So why don't you start, you start anywhere in that uh, yeah. journey and share a little bit of that. Well, I, w I wish I could tell you a story about me, you know, having a lifelong goal and a vision uh, and a purpose. And I was thinking about, you know, I wanted to be a musician from the, but none of that would be true. The reality is I was just kind of a normal kid grew up in Jackson, Mississippi. My grandparents raised me. My mother and father were too young to be having children. And so, um, so I felt, you know, from a very young age, kind of misplaced and, uh, and unwanted. And so, um, spent a lot of time just, you know, kind of looking for acceptance wherever I could find it. And, uh, and then when I was 14, I had cancer uh, and, um, the doctor, uh, well, it started off, he said, yeah, but he, you have a cyst, and I didn't know what a cyst was. So, you know, over the course of time, it, you know, it took a minute for me to figure out that it was cancer, and I wound up spending two years in the hospital with that. Um, I found out later that the doctor said I was not going to make it, but they didn't tell me that, because mm. so I would be hopeful and try to fight. And not, not one time did I ever really think about dying. Um, I just, you know, that was not even an option. Um, so two years in the hospital with that, I wound up losing a leg. I lost my hair, but that grew back. Uh, at 14, I was going through puberty and cancer at the same time. Um, to say it was challenging would be a huge understatement. Wow. But, um, um, 
but I survived and um, I got out and you know just by that time I had already you know discovered uh, drugs and alcohol and mostly you know just smoking pot and smoking cigarettes and stealing a volume every once in a while from my grandmother you know uh, kids can't get their hands up nor do they have the money for the good stuff but you right. know just enough to kind of take the edge off um, because from a you know from an early age up um, life just did not feel like a welcoming um, or comfortable place I always felt um, you know like I was walking around in a strange land and so anything that I could take or use that would make that softer you know I was sure. glad to take um, and uh, you know kind of survived through all of that and um, and then uh, you know started getting to the age where I needed to look for work and my grandfather uh, came in one day and he said well you're 18 you're a man now go get a job the money's cut off and I'm like job what are you talking about <laughs> so um, he wasn't kidding he I mean he cut me off wow. and uh, I had been you know anything I wanted they would just buy me or whatever you know so so that was a little bit of a learning curve trying to learn how to be a responsible adult starting at 18 instead of you know maybe dabbling in that from an, an earlier age I didn't even have chores really when I was growing up and I do think the cancer had a little bit to to do with them not you know forcing me to do things because they didn't think I was going to be around if the kids gonna die let them right. have a little fun you know wow. and um and so I you know I just I was just kind of wandering around do, you know doing drugs and looking for something to do that would make money I tried my hand at, at several jobs you know nothing I didn't have any skills whatsoever and um, just kind of you know looking for some sense of purpose and something that I can make a dollar doing and and um, nothing really made sense and uh, kind of meandered around till I was 21 years old and I discovered a guitar I remember watching those old Elvis movies when I was a mm -hmm. kid and uh, and I remember you know and he would be a hotel clerk or he would be a race car driver and then somebody you know kind of a normal basically normal guy just better looking than everybody else but but then somebody would throw him a guitar and the whole world would kind of lean in and you know start paying attention to him and I'm like man what is that and so I started uh, trying to learn how to play guitar which was extremely challenging but I think my addictive behavior came in really handy then because most people give up because it's so hard and once mm -hmm. I, I can't do a little bit of anything so most people learn a chord I picked up a guitar and didn't put it down for 20-something hours when I and I could actually play a song by the wow. time I put it back down I was just really driven and didn't have anywhere to go and uh, I'd fallen in love with bluegrass music so I decided I was just gonna go to Gatlinburg and be a hillbilly and play bluegrass music and smoke weed it sounded like a perfect <laughs> life and uh, so I did I packed up my little Toyota truck and and uh, went up there and then I found out how hard bluegrass was to actually play and I opted out for just smoking pot <laughs> but something um, something uh, pretty cosmic happened there was a little deli cafe up there and uh, and I went in and uh, and they were playing uh, just a guitar singer-songwriter stuff playing guitar for tips and I um, and, um, and I liked it. It was the first time that I had, you know, I grew up listening to, I played drums when I was younger. I, I listened to Thin Lizzy and Kiss and Led Zeppelin and anything you could play the drums to, but I'd really never paid attention to the lyrics. That was secondary. It was just the, the emotional um, feeling that you get listening to rock and roll. A young, young teenager in rock and roll, it just was the perfect mix, but I'd never really paid attention to the, to, the, to the lyrics. These guys, 
were not a band and they were not playing rock and roll. They were playing Neil Young and Springsteen and James Taylor and, uh, you know, all the singer-songwriter stuff, and I paid attention to the lyrics. And they would play these songs, and then people would walk up and put a couple of bucks in the jar, and I'm looking at that jar, that, good Lord, there must be 25 or $30 <laughs> in there. I mean, that's, a, that's almost a living, you know. I'm thinking yeah. now it's laughable, but... Yeah. God, if I could make $25 a day, $30 a day, I would be killing it. So, so I knew three or four songs by then, and I went to the manager. There's no way I'd have the guts to do that now. But I, I guess in my ignorance, I just went and said, nobody does the lunch crowd. You always have these people playing for the evening crowd. Could I just come in and play for the lunch crowd? And she said, well, sure, I don't see why not. So I came in and set up the next day, and I played my three or four songs, and that's all I knew. So I said, thank you, I'm going to take a little break, I'll be back, you know, in a few minutes, and I would let those people clear out, because it was a sandwich joint, and then the next crowd would come in, they would sit down and get sandwiches, I came back out and sang the same three or four songs, and then the next day I knew five or six, and I was playing, I don't know, a hundred and something songs by the time I, I um, left there, the tourist season kind of dried up, and there was, you know, no work whatsoever, so I wound up having to pack up and go back to Mississippi, and, and by then I had you know, the, the music bug, and there really was not much room for growth um, for, a, for a musician unless you played the blues right. or, or you, you know, in a cover band, you could play Skinner, you know, whatever. So, um, so it was a, you know, it was a, it was a real challenging time to, to try to figure out how to make music. And, and um, then I had a little bit of a, you know, I had a, <laughs> I'm actually telling my wife about this the other night. I, I was 20, 24, 24 years old, and I, and, uh, and I, had a, I took an acid for the 14th or 15th time, but something unusual happened on this one, and I actually had uh, kind of a deeply life-changing spiritual experience um, while I was tripping on that acid. I, I kind of had an encounter with the devil, and it scared me so bad uh, wow. that I, when I when I kind of came back out of it, I, you know, in the in the big book, Bill calls it a cyclic, a psychic change, and in in the Bible it just talks about being born again. So somewhere in between those two, all I know is that something drastically changed, and I woke up the next morning different, with no desire to do anything but try to find more about you know God, and so I. Started looking for churches. I went to revivals, and one thing led to another. And you know, the same way with the guitar, I can't do a little bit of anything. And so it was, you know, it was all the way wide open, as hard as I could go. And and within a year, I was pursuing the ministry and speaking in churches and singing in churches. And that was a 17-year-long thing that took me to 30-something countries all around the world and just about every state, you know, in the U.S. and did that just start just one place led to another and word spread and all that? I mean, how did, yeah, you, how you, did know, you break into well, that? Well, so I mean, nothing's ever easy, is it? But but I'm, I'm a pretty determined little sucker. And, and uh, you know, when I was getting high, I wanted everybody around me to get high. When I found Jesus, I wanted everybody to have Jesus. So it was, you know. I, infectious. It was infectious and, and honestly a little telltale sign of, of, of my addictive behavior that I didn't, I was not able to reconcile at that time. I just thought it was, I thought it was, it's what it was. Later, going through rehab all those times, you know, it, it took me, 
then it started making sense. Man, the addict, the, you know, the, the addiction, the, the addictive behavior. God, when I started digging into that, then so much of my life that felt chaotic all of a sudden made a lot of sense. Right. You know, every, you know, and 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 that being one of them. I'm not taking anything away from the Christian experience or saying that that was not real or, and certainly would never knock anybody else about their deal, but I, but I am positive that that had a lot of influence on mine. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and so I spent 17 years doing that. And then, um, and then uh, you know, 30, 38 years old and everything that I believed in started to not make sense anymore. I had, I had, I had built a house on sand. I had I had built my whole life on a on a very naive faith. I had never asked questions. I had never been completely honest with myself. Um, and um, it, it the whole thing just started falling apart. And 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 part of my naive faith, for for what it's worth, I, you know, was um, you know, well, if you do this, and if you do this, and if you do this, and if you do this everything's going to be okay mm -hmm. and that was not that was not the truth mm -hmm. and and I was doing all of those things and my whole life was falling apart my house is getting foreclosed on I don't know where I'm getting my next check and I had spoken in churches all over the world and you know um, and it was not supposed to be like that and kind so of, I started kind of prosperity gospel kind yeah, of thing yeah and yeah. so I started I started uh, you know questioning everything mm -hmm. that I that I was certain that I believed at one point and um and then, then all I, you know, by then I was just sitting at the top of the slide and just waiting, just waiting on anything to push me over and kind of hoping it would. And um, and when it did, I, you know, preachers fall hard, and um, and I hit, I hit hard, and I hit running, and um, and then you know, then I just kind of took some gasoline and poured it on everything that I could find and and lit it on fire to see what that would look like, you know. And so you know, went through a went back to the one thing that had always made sense to me um, you know went back to drugs and alcohol but this time I was a lot better at it than I was when I was a kid you know and and I uh, and I did it really good and I stayed drunk for six years I moved to town I, I remember making 30 phone calls to churches as a last resort and got turned down for the 30th time and I kind of wow. I put the phone down and it was not that I had done anything wrong but I had worked myself out of a job I would go and and one of the one of the pastors I guess out of kindness you know explained to me the problem he said I mean why would I you know take an offer and give you that money I could hire a staff member you know and have somebody in there for for six months what I could give you and you know you're going to come in one day and be gone and, but that's not what I wanted to hear yeah. But um, and I would go in and you know help them put bands together and, and lead worship and the whole deal and they didn't need me because I because I had helped they you know they had their own thing going now because I helped them do it so right. I hung up the phone I said I got nowhere to go and um, and I I remember I was still married at the time and I remember telling my wife at the time you know if I had a snowball's chance in hell of making it in the country um, in uh, secular music country music in particular I would do it but I said the problem was my whole living right now is made on love offerings from churches and, right. and the churches that I was you know spending time in would have frowned greatly on secular music they would right. have shunned me so I felt trapped and I felt like a charlatan showing up you know where I didn't really want to be and, 
And you're so in anyway, Nashville at this time. You're in Nashville. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And so, uh, so that I got turned down for the thirtieth time, and that was kind of it. I'm like, well, I, I have, I got nowhere to go, and I got nothing to lose. So right. I, so I started drinking as much as I could drink, and I started playing every songwriter night in town and every open mic, and and um, and that was kind of the beginning of of uh, it was it was the darkest part of my life by far. And it was also, you know, I would say a, a doorway to to the most important and uh, um, and 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 stumbling my way to where I needed to be right. the whole time. But it took all of those life experiences right. and that big circle and the the public speaking and the preaching and the, the ups and downs and the drug abuse and all of that to bring me where this flood of you know, songs that I had never tapped into, except I, you know, made some Christian records, and I would write ten or twelve songs a year, but I'd never really given myself completely to it because I was always, I was always writing songs and speaking at this church and doing a little carpentry right. here and cutting grass right. here, but right. I'd never given myself completely to the craft of of songwriting. By the time I got to town, I was thirty eight. I had given up on being an artist, you know, because um, you know. You, wouldn't take a rocket scientist to realize that music some years ago kind of became young and beautiful and I'm neither. Mm -hmm. And so I'd completely given up on being an artist and I was mm -hmm. just going to write songs. And so, um, so in the middle of a drunken stupor, I got a, I got a, uh, I was playing in an open mic and a guy from Universal showed up to, to hear me. And, uh, and the rest as they say is history. He signed me to a publishing deal a few years later and, and, um, and, uh, and and then you know my life changed forever. I had to go I had to go a lot further down before I came back up, you yeah. know, and in and into some sense of light. But um, and at the time, had you said this will all make sense one day, I would have probably hit you in the face. Yeah. But but it all makes sense now. Wow. All of that was important and necessary, and 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 gave me the life skills and the and the skill set and the mindset to to be who I am today. To be able to. To share the message that I'm sharing today through, yeah. you know, through through my writing and and uh, and artistry, which was so funny because it was just an accidental artist. Like, you know, I never I never thought it was going to be an artist. And the fact that I'm making records and have a fan base and try, it's just, yeah, it's amazing. Wow. And I'm having the time of my life. So there's there's a real long story for yeah. you. You can process through, but that that's a that's a that ought to hold you for a minute. That's good. That's good. Uh, Talk a little bit about, I've heard you tell this before, I'd love for you to share it again, but um, as you were in the depths um, and you talk about going to rehab multiple times and you, you tell the story about maybe that, that final time where you showed up and uh, uh, I think the, I'll let you tell it, but the guy was surprised to see you again and, uh, oh, you're talking about the, the last time I checked in? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he thought I was dead. He thought I he thought I died. Well, I, you know, I, I um, it just got so dark and and dreary. You know, I, um, I, w I was going through every kind of crisis that you can have at the same time: a midlife crisis, a marriage crisis, a career crisis, a crisis of faith. And if there's any other crisis I forgot, I, I guarantee you, I was in the middle of it and uh, existential crisis and 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 nothing nothing made sense and so the only way that I you know the only coping mechanism that I could find was to um to drink um just you know and and my day would begin with uh, vodka out of a bottle 
in a brown paper sack in the freezer. Um, by that point, I had given, I didn't need mixers. I had given up no tomato juice, no orange juice. I don't need all that. Just, mm. just go straight for the gas in the engine. Um, and then I would, you know, cause I would be shaking so bad. I would, you know, I couldn't even hit my mouth and I'd be pouring vodka all mm. over my face. And, but I would go into, you know, full on DTs if I didn't get it down. So it was just a, um, a horrible, you know, I'd, Swallow and puke and swallow and mm. puke and swallow and puke and finally get enough down that it would that I'd start feeling human again and then I could start my day. That was literally the way that I started my day, every day. Um, which is, you know, then when I started thinking about getting sober, I remember, well, I'll, what am I going to do for fun <laughs> when I get sober? As if that kind of a lifestyle was fun. Right. Um, but that's you know that kind of alcoholic thinking. So enough became enough. Six years I never got hangover. Because I stayed, because I never got sober. I stayed drunk for six years, thereabouts. And it was finally time. I'm, I can't do this. I'm literally, I'm dying. Um, you know, I'd been to jail a couple times, and it was just horrible. So I, I threw up the, I threw up the, the, the proverbial white flag and just said, I, I need help, and I don't know what to do. And, um, and a friend, knew a friend, and, uh, and I was uh, on my way into Cumberland Heights here in Nashville the next morning, literally, which was a, a miracle in itself because I, I, you know, I was so, um, so messed up. I, there's no way I could have even picked up a, a phone book or Google and, and found where a treatment sent. All mm -hmm. I know is that I, I need help, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. to have mercy kind of a thing. And so I went, I spent th 30 days in there and it was one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had in my life. And, um, and I came out and thought I was cured. So I went back hanging out with the same people, doing the exact same things and running the same circles. And I may have lasted a week mm -hmm. or two, you know, and right back in the same patterns. Right. And um, so it, <clears throat> excuse me, it, and, uh, you know, I wound up going to Cumberland Heights three times and, and uh, I checked myself into Bandy in the psych ward once because I was so, Embarrassed, I didn't want to go back to Cumberland Heights because mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I felt like the, you know, they'd be like, oh man, here comes that guy again. You know, he he can't get it right. There's no hope for him, and so it was embarrassing. So I wasn't going to go. So I checked myself into the psych ward, and that's when I realized how amazing Cumberland Heights was because mm -hmm. because Vandy is it's a great it's a great place, but as far as getting sober, it was terrifying compared to the experience that I'd had. At Cumberland Heights, not only the detox, but the counseling and the therapy and the small group sessions. At Vandy, I was in a psych ward, you know, and they took my shoelaces and my belt so I wouldn't hang myself. And everybody had to stay together in a group. And you go down to eat together, and you come up to eat together. And not to get too graphic, but you know, your stomach gets pretty messed up when you're when you're detoxing like that. And so you really need to stay close to a bathroom. And you couldn't even go to the bathroom without somebody there. And so, wow. so that didn't last very long. And I'm in there with a with a fella that would uh, talk to himself all night with the lights on. He didn't mm. like the lights off. Mm. He was scared, so he would talk really loudly all night. That's an ace right there. That's a that's a trip to a club. So I so I didn't sleep at all. And then um, and then the next morning he would go to sleep, and I'm supposed to get up and you know go about the day. So I right. think I don't quote me, but I think I lasted maybe three days, and I, and I stopped one of the nurses, and I said, how, how do you get out of this place? And she said, you have to go AMA. I'm like, what is that? She said, against medical advice. I'm, where do I sign? She said, you'll have to talk to a doctor. I said, where's a doctor? 
And um, so, you know, an hour or so, the doctor came in, and I said, I want out of here. I want AMA. I want, I want to be AMA. He said, you sure that's a good idea? I said, I haven't made a good idea. I haven't had a good idea in a long time. You know, I haven't made a good decision in a long time, right. but, but I want out. Right. Well, sign here, and I signed, and then I stumbled my wobbly self across two of the busiest roads in Nashville, cars coming everywhere, and I could hardly even walk, you know, dragging my little wheel suitcase. Didn't have a phone, didn't have my keys to my apartment. Um, you know, didn't have any cigarettes. And, and so, just, you know, I went through a restaurant and people in the parking lot thought I was homeless, so they kept walking away from me. Wow. I'm asking people for a cigarette. Looking back on it now, I'd have been terrified. I'm not a big guy, so I, so I, don't, I don't think I look threatening, but, but, right. I, but I, I did not look, you know, like somebody you want to hang out with either. Finally got a guy to give me a cigarette and I made it home. Uh, it was about a half mile, I guess. It took me, no telling how long it took me. And I sat down on my front steps and, uh, and the girl that had my keys and my cigarettes and everything pulled up at that moment. To this day, I have no idea how. Just one of those mini cosmic, you know. I had nowhere to go, no keys, no nothing. And I sat down on the steps to my apartment. She pulls up and comes walking up with the keys. And so I spent another two weeks partying pretty hard. And I called Cumberland Heights again. And I said, um, I'm done. I'm through. I got it out of my system. I'm done. If you will detox me one more time, you will never see me again. And they said, you know, let me put you on hold. And that's when, and I became friends with the guy that checked me right. in. The, the reason that I know the backstory to this. And, and said, uh, man, it's Travis Meadows. And Travis Meadows, I thought he was dead. And uh, so I went in and, and did a, did a, um, a five-day detox. And then I did another outpatient that was... Uh, Three, two or three weeks, I forgot what it was, you know, and, and that was it. Um, the, every, all of the stars aligned and all of the information that I had gleaned from all of the trips to rehab and the, the psychiatrist and therapist and the small groups and all of that, it's all like it kind of, you know, turned into a tornado right over a funnel and it just all came inside my head and heart and made sense and that was it and that was July. 19th of 2010. Wow. And you know, I've been back out there several times, but not with my suitcase. I go out there now, I'll speak and sing mm -hmm. and encourage them that, you know, that it is possible. And mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, man, it was, a, it, was a, it was a long, dusty trail for sure. I heard you, uh, I guess I read or either heard in, uh, you speaking one time talking about you told the guy if he let you back in, you he would never see you again. That's exactly one, right. One more time that this yeah. was the last. That boy, that was the phone call I made. I yeah. said, yeah. I said, if, if you'll uh, if if you'll detox me, if you'll let me in one more time, you'll you'll never see me in yeah. here again. And yeah. they and they did. Uh, there was some great organizations. You know, the first time I went in was uh, Music Cares. It's an incredible organization mm -hmm. in town. I cannot say enough good things about them. Um, and they put me in the first time, and then I called them again, and 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 because I, you know, because it didn't work the first time, they said, "Sorry, I'm so sorry, honey, but I can't do it." But they put me in touch with somebody else that helped me the second time. Right. And then, uh, you know, God bless her, my ex had really good insurance at the time, that third time, and she put me on her insurance. And, uh, and, and that's the, and wow. so I went in on her insurance and they covered a, a portion of it, but I had, and so I remember every month I was, and I was not, I was giving my ex almost my entire little 
check. It wasn't right. a big check that I was making on my publishing draw, and I was giving it almost all to her. Right. I think I was living on three hundred dollars a month, and I still wow. made I still made sure that I was sending you know fifty or hundred bucks to Cumberland Heights because I was emotionally and invested and and uh, and my ego got involved and I'm doing it this time and something about writing that check and being financially responsible right. I think had a little impact too yeah. that really the only regret that I have out of that whole process is that I wish I would have kept my paid in full so I could put mm -hmm. it in a in a frame and mm -hmm. and uh, and hang that on the wall somewhere because it was it was the first responsible thing I had done in a very long time mm -hmm. maybe ever so when you were going through that time, did you have people that were in your face saying, "Hey, you got to do this, you got to do this," or was just you, or was it just you saying, "Enough's enough, I've got to." Was that self-imposed? Where you it decided? Most, yeah, it was mostly self-imposed because I was I was really getting scared because my health had deteriorated mm. to 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 a where I didn't even recognize myself in the mirror. I mean, it was it was scary. Uh, my uh, ex, who I was still married to for the first part of that, um, you know, was very patient and very forgiving and, uh, and tried her best. Um, and my, uh, my first publisher um, never really scolded me, but, but I, you know, it's, you know, I, I've always, I've kind of come to the conclusion that life will treat you a little bit like a pinball, especially for people like me that have no I don't have a five-year plan, you know what I mean? But if, but if you kind of get out of the way, life will kind of push you where you need to go. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and so, so it's not one thing. It's, it's a combination of a bunch of things that led me to, you know, to, to not only, you know, try, but to try again. And, and, but, but, and one of those things, my, my first publisher, uh, Scott, called me in his office one day, and he said, we got to have a talk. And he had never done anything like this. And, and uh, he said, uh, the Bluebird doesn't want you to come back. For me, the Ryman Auditorium was not the, the for me, wanting to be a songwriter, the Bluebird was the mm -hmm. ultimate for me mm -hmm. because that's where the best songwriters in the world performed. And so for me, that's where I wanted to be. And, and I had I had gotten to where I could play the nine o'clock show, not the six o'clock, mm -hmm. the, the big show. Yeah. And, the, and, and three or four or five times in a row, I'd showed up drunk and, you know, and just made a complete fool of myself. And so they said no more. So they banned me. And he said, they don't want you coming up there anymore. And I'm like, why? And he said, take a guess, dumbass. You know what I mean? He's like, uh, uh, he said, you, you, you really need to take a look at this thing. It's getting to where nobody wants to write with you in town. And I'm like, why? Well, because you, you stink. You smell like alcohol. And I said, well, I'll chew gum. He said, man, no, it's, you smell like a guy on the street. Like, it's coming out of your pores. Wow. Wow. Um, there's no hiding it and nobody wants to be around you anymore and um, that was really hard to hear mm. um, and so that was one of many things that kind of you know kind of pushed me uh, in the direction of, of trying to get help and you know uh, just um, so anyway yeah uh, I, I came to the conclusion I, I needed help and um, and and I think uh, uh, life is, is is a patient teacher and I was definitely ready for a change. And, and when I was ready for a change, it was right there. What's the old adage, you know, when the, when the student's ready, the teacher will come. And, mm. and Cumberland Heights was a teacher that I needed. I just, I just needed some, some repeat lessons, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, you know, when, uh, th this, the name of the podcast is Discover Blind Spots. And I remember in my, in my 
you know, career or, or so forth, leadership sometimes um, as I was, you know, leading or working with people and I always thought that I could uh, train them, love them, care for them, pay them, and wherever there, if there were issues, they would be able to overcome those because I could do all of that. And I have several stories I write about in the book that I failed at all of them. Hmm. And I remember kind of walking away thinking, you know, wow, I must, I must really suck at this thing here. And I read in a, um, an author, uh, talking about kind of emotional intelligence and so forth. And he said, you know, um, you can train, you can love, you can care, you can mentor, you can encourage, you can do whatever you want to do. But unless the person says, hey, you know, I think I've got a problem with this exactly. and I need help. They said the best you're going to get is about a 2 to 3% improvement. I remember when I read that, I raised my hands up in the air and I was like, well, hallelujah, maybe it's not me. Right. You know, and uh, sounds like you got to that point And that's why you are where you are today, because you said, wow, this is this is this is it. This yeah. is the time. So yeah, no doubt. what a, what a story. Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit about, I've got several of your um, uh, albums that, that you know, kind of, and I look at these like um, 2007, uh, and, I'm, and I'm looking at the names, which uh, maybe, maybe not, but maybe you talk about that, but they, they sort of make me feel like there are different phases of your, of your life, but, you know, different parts of your journey, but, you know, 2007, My Life 101, 2011, Killing Uncle Buzzy. Uh, 2013, uh, Old Ghost and Unfinished Business. And then your latest one, which which has Sideways on, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but First Cigarette. But those titles, uh, I have a feeling, uh, represent something. Oh, they absolutely do. Um, uh, my Life 101, when I, I, I had just gotten signed to my first publishing deal at Universal Music, so in a, in a roundabout way, what I moved to town to do, I had succeeded, which was to get a publishing deal. I wanted to know, once and for all, could I write with the best writers in the world? And signing that deal was a big yes, you can. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just uh, to, to for a little uh, backstory for, for those that may not be familiar with uh, publishing deals or, or, you know, professional songwriters, the basic idea is um, they hear your songs, they say, I love these. We'll sign you to a deal. We'll give you X amount of dollars for a certain amount of your publishing. In exchange for that, we will set you up with co-writers. We will pitch the songs and try to get them recorded, and we will pay for your demos. And then they take, you know, they take the demo, all of which is recoupable, by the way. But then they'll take the demos and they'll send them to, to country artists to see if they um, will record them. And uh, and I had a, a batch of songs, and uh, and Scott was a, an incredible publisher. They, they just don't make them like that anymore. He's an old school publisher, and and uh, and I, he's still a dear friend of mine, and I talk to him often. Um, but he he got out of you know the publishing business. Uh, I was like the last one. The industry started changing to the point that he's like apparently you know it's outgrown me, and I don't know I'm not effective anymore. Mm-hmm. So it kind of broke his heart that that things did not go the way with me that they had with previous uh, writers that he had signed, but. But anyway, rather than rather than take a group of songs and make a demo, like most people do, um, he said, "Let's make a record." And so we made a record, and it was uh, "My Life 101." Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and that was really uh, 
you know, earlier when I was talking about so many of my things, you know, uh, kind of happening accidentally, I, I think that kind of set a precedent for um, f for me making records and I didn't even realize it, mm -hmm. you know, because people in town, they will, there's no doubt about it, they'll listen to a record differently than they'll listen to a demo session. Mm -hmm. These publishers and artists, they, they have stacks and stacks of demos every day, and... Uh, but then they hear a record, well, you know, uh, maybe he, he obviously liked these songs, you know, well enough to, to put them on a record. So, mm -hmm. so that's what My Life 101 was, was the first batch of songs that I came to Universal with. Mm -hmm. So those were not written uh, after I was there. Those were the songs that I brought with me um, to the table. Um, and then, uh, and then uh, Kid and Uncle Buzzy was documenting me getting sober. One of my, one of my caseworkers at, at uh, Cumberland Heights suggested I keep a journal and I said you think no way I'm too lazy to keep a journal I'm not gonna I'm not gonna write my thoughts down um, but I do I do write songs maybe I could write songs about it and another one of those accidental things and she said well if you think it'll help she said well the thing about a journal that's helpful is you can see your progress and it may inspire you to keep trying I'm like well good enough for me uh, bear in mind that that was my my fourth attempt and so I would have, if she would have said, maybe you should try standing on your head going, blah, 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 I would have done that. <laughs> sure, right. But I got out uh, on uh, a day, and the, the next day I wrote Minefield. Wow. I went to an AA meeting. Um, well, you're not, supposed to, you're not supposed to say the name. I went to a recovery meeting, and... Uh, Cause, because if you know if I mess up, then somebody say I, I told you that stuff didn't work. Right. Yeah, but so so I can be the the one that makes the whole thing look bad. But right. but uh, I went to a meeting and this lady stood up and she said, uh, "Well, I, I'm so and so. I'm an alcoholic, and I would have had uh, two years today if I hadn't decided to go playing in a minefield this weekend." And I wrote down playing a minefield, wow. and um, and then I went to uh, to the office the next day and wrote that song with uh, Heather Little. And then, uh, you know, one thing led to another. I started writing and, and started putting songs together. Two became three, three became four, and then all of a sudden I had an epiphany. I think I'm making a record. And the thing that was so beautiful about this record is that I w it was more of a homework assignment. It was me try right. trying to dig right. out of a hole. I didn't give a crap about Kenny Chesney or Tim McGraw right. recording my songs. Right. I just don't want to die. So I wasn't worried about radio. I wasn't worried about lyrical content. I wasn't worried about what Music Row may think about it. I was just regurgitating. Um, and it wound up being one of the most beautiful gifts that I've ever been given. So um, real, authentic, real, yeah. transparent, the whole deal. And had I, had I been worried about all of those other things, it, it would not have been that record, right. you know, but I never intended for anybody to actually hear that record. That was just a homework assignment. Wow. And now to look at it and, 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 you know, that they're playing it in treatment centers all over the world. And, and, you know, I get at least, uh, you know, two or three a week, this record changed my life. You know, mm -hmm. I, man, I had a gun in my mouth and heard, mm -hmm. you know, this song and change, you know, and, and I can't take responsibility for all that stuff. I'm, but I, but I am deeply grateful and just kind of pass it on, you know. Mm. Uh, but so that was killing Uncle Buddy. Then and and then there came a time when I didn't want to be that guy anymore. You know, I don't want to be. I don't want to be Uncle Buzzy or the guy trying not to be. Uncle Buzzy was my. He was the guy that I would become when right. I was drinking. Right. You know, which the first hour or two was kind of the life of the party. But after that, it got kind of gross. Mm. Um, and uh, and I just I didn't want to. 
be that guy anymore. So um, I didn't have 10 songs, but I had six or seven. I forgot exactly. Anyway, I made Old Ghost an Unfinished Business just so I could feel like I was having some forward momentum. Mm -hmm. I didn't care where I was going. I just didn't want to be stuck at Uncle Buzzy anymore. Mm -hmm. So Old Ghost and Unfinished Business was just my way of, I don't, I, I never really thought of that as a real record. It was just me trying to, to move forward and kind of step away from, from who I was because I felt like I was growing and maturing and, and uh, becoming some, you know, somebody else and, and, uh, somebody, uh, you know, uh, uh, slightly uh, more hopeful, uh, you know, and, uh, and then, uh, and then, uh, you know, that, uh, then I made uh, first cigarette, um, gosh, I guess it was a couple years ago now, but anyway, it, it, that's my latest record, it's still, uh, you know, in the, in the public's eye, new, um, uh, and I'm just so proud of every one of them, I, I am, uh, and then I'll shut up, I, I feel like I'm rambling, but, oh, yeah. um, um, Every one of them are important for different reasons, and I and I am uh, maybe prob probably a little too much so, but I'm but I'm quite a self-indulgent writer, you know. I, I I I don't I don't do well with hearing a story about Bob in Deer Creek, Alabama, and writing a song about him. Mm -hmm. Some people do really well, and that way they don't have to get emotionally involved. You know, they can they can just play the role or whatever. But for me, it's, you know, it's, it's me writing about me, you know. Um, like I said, I'm probably guilty of being too self-indulgent, you know, maybe, maybe a little, but, but killing Uncle Buzzy kind of changed everything for me. And, and you know, what's the old adage, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And so I just kind of stayed in that. Well, let's talk about me and where I'm at now. And so all of them are little snapshots of where I was, you know, at the time. Yeah. And, uh, um, uh, talk a little bit about Sideways, as I, we mentioned at the beginning. Um, and I included, you know, the, the, the words to the song that just, you know, sort of, I mean, I, I thought you were reading my mail, or you had read the manuscript to the book before sure. I had written the book, mm -hmm. <laughs> for whatever reason. But, you know, you write in that song, uh, push it down, it comes out sideways, push it down, it comes out sideways, bitter roads turn into highways, push it down, it comes out sideways. I wrote in the book, um, in this section, that you were kind enough to let me quote some of these lyrics. Our blind spots can be hard to see because they hide behind other issues, mm. hoping to distract us from the real hidden root of the problem. To find the real blind spot, we have to search our hearts and start peeling back the layers. I alluded earlier when we were talking, I was uh, in the beginning of that chapter, I was talking about a blind spot that I don't know if it was a blind spot, a blind spot of sometimes I can get impatient, mm -hmm. you know, and so, um, and so I, we had this little exercise, it was a, it, I called it a text poll, I have a fam, have four children, and um, so my son Fletcher and I were on a college visit, he was getting ready to checking out colleges, and so I sent a text to the family and said, hey, I'm, I'm looking at these, you know, the kind of the fruits of the spirit deal, you know, I said, if I had one I need to focus on, what would it be, and mm -hmm. within a few seconds, uh, I got a ding, and I looked, and it said patience, and I oh. thought, wow, that, that kind of hurts a little bit, yeah. but, and then a few seconds later, another ding, and it says patience, and I'm like, 
wow. Oh, and, and then, they weren't having a committee meeting either, No, were no, they? no, they weren't. And Ooh. then I, Fletcher was driving, and I looked over at him, and he hadn't seen the responses. And I said, well, what do you think? And he said, I don't know, Dad, maybe patience. And I was like, well, I guess it's unanimous. Yeah. And so it was kind of a kind of a you know kind of a comical you know kind of a fun-loving thing. Okay, you know yeah I get impatient every now and then. And when I was writing that chapter, when I got to the end of it, and I decided to when I was when I was digging a little deeper, mm-hmm. and decided to write about layers, you know I started to reflect back: oh, is patience really the blind spot, or is there a layer underneath that? Right. And the layer for me was you know i'm kind of not happy to admit this but sometimes it might even be entitlement yeah you know there's a feeling i get impatient because for whatever reason i've decided that i'm entitled to do this and somebody else is not allowing me to do this and why aren't you allowing me to do it so that was kind of the layer but but talk about um talk about sideways you've got a phenomenal story about how that song came about and uh, wonder if you'd share that. Yeah, uh, the, the the short version is I had uh, you know I, apparently I became an expert at addiction by going you know back to rehab so many times and and uh, so there was uh, you know I've, I've I've been to a lot of treatment centers. There was a treatment center in Opelousas, Louisiana, that I was uh, I went down and they had at forty to fifty. Um, it's an adolescent treatment facility. I, I wish that that was not even it, those words just should not belong together, but. Mm-hmm. But they do in our world. An adolescent treatment facility, there were, you know, 30 to 50 kids all under the age of 18 addicted to something. Um, some of them were in there to, so they would not go to jail. Some of them were, you know, uh, none of them checked themselves in, let's just put it that way. Um, but they were gracious, they were kind, and I've always, um, I've always, uh, uh, struggle with anxiety and so it's hard enough but but it's a little easier when I'm in a club or something and I have the spotlights in my eyes you know so I can't really see the people too much they don't feel like you know this was a tough gig because you know we I had 40 to 50 kids in a room mm. not much bigger than this and they're just right there mm. and nothing to hide behind and uh, to just kind of break the ice I about 30 or 40 minutes in I told a handful of stories and sang a few songs and then I said you know um these are songs about my experience and just you know just kind of try an experiment if we were to write a song about your life what would that song be like and to my surprise hands went up and and uh, and one of the one uh, the girl on the front row I said yes ma'am and, and she began to tell this story and uh, and and it became evident pretty quick that she really wanted to talk about this first and foremost you know she really wanted to get this off her chest which was important um we don't need to hold that stuff in. Um, um, and the second thing I realized is that uh, you know, I remember thinking to myself, good Lord, I'd want to get high too. Nobody, especially at this age, but nobody should have to go through what this girl is, is talking about, you know. And, and I felt very ill-equipped to be there in the first place, much less try to talk to them, you know, um, I just, you know, I don't have any experience in, in counseling or therapy or whatever. And the counselors there kept reassuring me they know you love them and that's enough, you know, and they know you're telling the truth and you're coming from an honest place. And, but I felt so ill-equipped. When she gets through, I, I have a sense of responsibility. I, I want to say something and act like I know what the crap I'm doing. Right. So I, 
So I said the only thing that, that I knew how to say, you know, because I've been to therapy a lot, and it was, well, how did that make you feel? And a tear, you know, kind of escaped uh, from the prison of her eye, and, and she wiped it away, and she said, I don't feel nothing. And I had no idea what to say, the, the, you know. The, the, how does that make you feel was the easy part. After that, I had no idea. She said, I don't feel nothing. And one of the counselors spoke up and said, if I could interject. And I'm thinking, yes, please. <laughs> and he just said, you know, um, anger does not have to be your go-to response. You have a lot of emotions. And, 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 but you, you seem to just choose that one for every occasion. And he said that it's like, uh, you know, if, if, the only, if the only tool you have to work with is a hammer, you're going to treat everything like a nail. And the problem with that is when you push it down, it comes out sideways. And he went on, but I did not. <laughs> my brain stopped right there, and I started thinking about, you know, my grandparents raised me. My grandfather was a, in World War II. He was tough. He didn't take no crap off of nobody. And... Uh, and you don't talk about your feelings. You man up and you suck it up and you just keep going whether you feel like it or not. You know, we never had any how are you feeling conversations in that house. And, uh, and so I thought about in my own life how many times that I had pushed it down and pushed it down and pushed it down mm. and pushed it till, till it came out in very unhealthy ways. So we got done there and, and like everything else in my life, you know, it, it takes a, a number of things to kind of uh, make the stew that becomes a song. And, and that, that same day I had a conversation with another one of the counselors, uh, both of those uh, who had you know, uh, become dear friend, friends of mine since, and I have an, another, another conversation with him, uh, the, another counselor. And I'm like, well, how are you doing? What's going on? He said, man, I had the weirdest thing happen yesterday. I said, what? He said, I got so mad, I almost, you know, kicked my neighbor's ass. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, well... My back was hurting, okay? My back was hurting, and so I was just pissed off at everything. He said, well, let me, well actually, I was afraid. And when, I, and, and when I get scared, it makes me angry. And I cannot even tell you what that little piece of honesty from him did for me. It was a key to a hidden door that I was in my 50s and had never looked at. Mm and immediately felt the impact of that. The rest of his story is not even important, but he did. He wound up not kicking the guy's ass, and it wound up being okay. Um, but, but all of these things happened on the same day, and it's just stirring and brewing. And so when I'm getting ready to make a record, uh, you know, I, I have a list of thoughts and ideas in my, in my notepad on my phone, thousands and thousands of them from, from years. I call them a bag of tricks. And, and, uh, and I'm thinking about sideways because uh, it would not let me go. And I'm thinking about my father. I'm thinking about that young lady. Um, but again, I don't think it would have been, maybe somebody else could do it. I couldn't write a song about that girl. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't feel like I would do it justice, or, 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 but I can, I, can, I, can, I can talk about me from, a, from a, uh, an honest level and, and tell a, a vulnerable truth. Uh, and um, and so um, that's kind of where that came from. Push it down, it comes out sideways. And and the, the the last part of that song, it's really, it scared me a lot. I'm not gonna lie. The, um, it scared me a lot to be that honest. The uh, sometimes it's just nose above the water. Mm -hmm. 
keep it together while I fall apart. Mm -hmm. And I have days when I act just like my father, mm -hmm. the only man who ever broke my heart. Mm -hmm. I really did not want, there's a part of me that did not want to tell you that. Mm -hmm. But the more mature part of me and the, and the part that sincerely wants help and does not want to wind up mm -hmm. in the darkness mm -hmm. again, um, won the fight and said, no, you need to say this. And it is stunning to me how many people come up to me after shows and go that line about the father mm -hmm. and a tear, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I cannot even, sometimes I can't even finish the sentence. Mm -hmm. um, so I know I made the right, the right decision. But fear... I've never been a, an overly angry person, although in those six, uh, six to eight, whatever it was, uh, years where, where it was just complete insanity, I was, uh, I was a, a, an angry, frustrated person, but I've never been an, an overly um, angry person, uh, and I'm less angry today. I, I mean, you, I, man, I just never get mad, mm -hmm. ever. It just takes so much energy, mm -hmm. you know, and there's so many different ways that you can respond to something, but I don't, I don't I get frustrated every once in a while, but... I don't even get I don't even get mad driving in Nashville for the most part with the traffic getting as bad as it is. I'm sitting, you know, <laughs> sit in it and take it with That's the best a test of right there. But fear, fear has been a fear has been a, a problem my entire life. You yeah. know, my first memory on this planet is watching my little brother drown. Mm. That was kind of a welcome to the world, you know. And wow. and in my thinking, it's like this is a really scary place. How old were you? Well, I was a, uh, right at three, so it, but it, so I really, you know, wow. it's not a vivid memory, it's just a little snapshot, right. you know, I remember, I remember everybody was drinking, and he ran out and ran face down, he loved the water, and he faced down in 18 inches of water, and I remember watching his legs kick, and then they quit moving, and I'm trying to get to him, and, but anyway, that's a, that's not as important as a fact, as, 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 you know, and then the, then the cancer, and like, you know, it just, the world's just a scary place and I don't know how to respond to that and I'm not a big guy so it's you know the whole kick button take names you know I'm I'm not that guy I always wished I'd have been a little bigger you know but I, I'd have been a I'd been scared big guy instead of a scared little one you know but um fear's always been a problem um still is yeah I um I also wrote in that chapter and it's interesting you you tied those two the fear and the anger piece um, I told a very, just a, a very simple story, but uh, my wife was supposed to be home one night and, and um, she was leaving and, you know, going to be home and she wasn't there. And so I called her, called her phone, couldn't get her, called again, couldn't get her. Uh, and then finally, when she came in, uh, I was angry. Yeah. And, you know, and where, where the heck have you been? Well, she had run into a friend and they were talking and she had the phone on silent because she'd been some, you know, that kind of thing. Meanwhile, you over there writing your own movie script. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, you know, my anger was really because of my fear that yeah. something, you know, had happened. But um, thank you for writing that song yeah, uh, sideways. And um, it does not surprise me that it's, it's had the impact. Uh, that it's had um, and certainly uh, had a huge impact on uh, my writing of the book. So I, th I thank you for that. I have, I have one other, if you've got a minute, I have one other thing sure, I want sure, to talk sure. about because, um, I, you know, as I was looking, I didn't realize this, um, and I'm still uh, uncovering, but uh, you've written um, cuts that have ended up with people like Dirk Bentley, Kenny Chesney, Jake Owen, Eric Church, Lindsey L., Brothers Osborne, Hank Williams Jr., Winona Judd, 
I mean, that's a who's who kind yeah. of list. And, I'm really uh, fortunate. Yeah. And I'm very grateful. So, so t- t- talk a little bit about that. I mean, we could, gosh, I, I, you know, I mean, I feel like we need to do a part one and part two because yeah. I could talk to you. I've got so much stuff sure. I'd love to ask you. But, um, but uh, talk a little bit about, you've, you have a story, I know, with uh, Dirks and Riser. And you you wrote that with uh, Steve uh, Steve, Steve Mokler, yeah. And uh, I've heard a little bit of that story when you were writing when you came in that day and we're going to write that song because Riser was a little bit of a different theme than you were known for. I wonder if you could share a little bit of that. Yeah, I was just uh, you know I was starting to feel a little more hopeful. I remember having a conversation not not too separated from from the day that we wrote riser i was writing with another friend of mine and i said now, something really weird is going on I said, what are you talking about i said well i've quit killing people in my songs and i'm <laughs> and i'm really starting to feel hopeful i'm starting to you know not dread tomorrow i'm kind of starting to look forward to it i'm starting to make plans as opposed to just want to get in bed and stay there and, and she asked me the simplest question it it's it, it kind of stunned me how simple it was, but I had not thought about it. She said, well, are you happy? And I, I thought about it for a minute, and I went, oh, my Lord, that's what it is. Mm. It had been so long, I had wow. forgotten what that felt like. And, and when I did start feeling better, I, I couldn't enjoy it because I kept waiting on the piano to fall on my head, you know what I mean? So it was a, it was a careful joy. It was a careful happiness, you know, waiting on, surely something's going to come and mess this up. And... Uh, which was strange because I was such an optimistic kid all my life, and and I would always get back up, you know, even with the cancer. Right. You know, it was like I am. I mean, I'm just I'm gonna live. And the doctor told me I wouldn't ride or swim or do anything the other kids did. I'm like, watch me, you know. Right. And I just would not lay down. But enough, you know, enough life finally kind of knocked the wind out of me, and then then I had that, you know, a joke about it. I had a real bad day that lasted six years mm-hmm. and um but i started feeling better and so uh um, um i got in the room with steve mokler we had we had written one time before and i told him i had this idea i said you know i kind of it's kind of a get back upper you know i, I, I call them trabisms you know where you kind of take words and they're they're not even you know supposed to be words and you just kind of make them you know words and but, but just to get back upper you know uh, um you get knocked down. Humans are really resilient animals, and I've, I've been through the fire, and I kind of want to—I want to document that, like I do everything else. I want to, kind of, you know, in a roundabout way, tell the world, you know, I'm back. I'm back in business, and uh, and he just kind of laughed and shook his head, and he said, "I am not equipped to write this song with you, but I don't feel like I've lived enough life. I hadn't been through anything. So I'm, a, you know, I'm a." a you know, I drive an SUV. I, you know, I grew up in a middle-class family. Is that, you right. know, but your optimism, I think, is the thing that I do need, you know, because I can be a really dark, dark person, and I need that I need that light, that hope. And so graciously he accepted. And we wrote Riser. Um, we, we, there was a little back and forth in, in, as to what to call it. He wanted to call it Survivor, and I'm like, that, that's just not acceptable. Plus, I think there might have been, there was a band or a song, Survivor, way back, you know, it's Riser, because I've never heard that before. And uh, I won. But um, uh, then Dirks heard it and uh, wound up recording it and did an incredible job. Um, 
And yeah, man, I mean, I have, I have lost count of how many people have sent me pictures of those words tattooed on their body. It did not do nearly as well on the charts as I hoped that it would. But, um, but the life-changing uh, aspect of that song um, is remarkable. There's even a, a, a kid in North Carolina named after that song. Now, mm. the, the parents had a set of twins, and one of the babies died after 10 days, and they, and they came to see me and hugged me and, and told me that that song got them through the darkest part of their life, obviously, you know, through the, the death of a, a newborn twin. And... Uh, and they just said, we just, we, I just wanted to hug your neck and tell you thank you for that. And fast forward, I went back through that part of North Carolina again. They came in, and, and they, they brought me a sonogram. It took me a minute to figure out what it was. They got to give it so kind. They gave me a little plaque that had, uh, you know, uh, though, I, though I'm knocked down, I, I, will, I will rise, mm-hmm. and Micah something or another from the Bible, and, mm-hmm. and a little picture. And I looked at it. It took me a second to kind of look at it. I'm like, is this, is this one of the things so yeah, that uh, we're pregnant again, and it's a boy, and we're wow. gonna we're gonna name him Riser. So wow. fast forward another year, and I I got pictures of me holding baby Riser, and so yeah, it's just just gift after gift, man. It's just it's it's a beautiful life, man. And that song, you know, to and then you know, Winona recorded some of my songs. I mean, I've always worshipped her. I think she's one of the greatest voices that ever lived, male or female. She recorded some of them. Uh, Eric Church, I write with him. Actually, he uh, he just performed a song that we wrote on the ACMs right. called "The Snake," right. which is a, a a little bit of a political statement. And I I stay away from from politics in public on purpose because I think no matter which side I I took, I'd, I'd piss the other half off. So <laughs> so I just stay away from that. But this particular one, I felt like was something that needed to be said, and that you know, it's Facebook. And, Twitter and all, you know all the social medias. People are screaming and yelling at each other, and it's and it's red, yelling at blue, and blue yelling at red, and it's like, man, really, it's not red versus blue. Right. It's those suckers in Washington versus all of us, and we're, you know, we're nitpicking ourselves to death, and they're laughing, you know, at us. So, um, so anyway, it's about two snakes. Yeah, two snakes um, talking about, you know, why don't we team up? And, and uh, and we could really make a mess then, and that's what they do. And he sang that song at the ACM. It was incredible. And I it, saw it. It was, and it it was amazing. Up, and, and he sang it with my dear friend uh, Ashley McBride, which was great. Uh, Billboard magazine uh, ranked to the performances that night, and Ashley, uh, with her guitar, was the second best. And then Eric and her doing the snake was the, the best performance, they said. So it was incredible. It really was. And I didn't know that you'd written it until I saw something you posted on mm-hmm. social media, and then it was, I was like, whoa, wait a minute, let me... Yeah, it was it was pretty powerful. Yeah, it yeah. was great. It was great. So I'm just I'm just so fortunate and so grateful. Um, I'm telling you, you know, if anybody's out there and walking around in the dark, uh, just remind you to, you know, in the, in meetings we we have a thing we we call a gratitude list, and uh, and I think it would do us all um, a world of good to um, to make a list of things you are grateful for. It may surprise you how much good is going on, you know, and we have a tendency to dwell on the, you know, well, everything's good except I'm married to the wrong woman or, I, you know, I wish I had a man. We are so, if you woke up breathing today, you're way ahead of the pack. You know what I mean? we got a lot to be grateful for. So I, I'm deeply grateful. Um, I actually went through a, 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 I surprised myself recently because I, that's kind of a, a message that I do preach 
you know, with my music and, and even in between songs is that, that gratefulness, gratitude, and, and, and hope are powerful things, you know. And, and I went through a really challenging uh, year last year. Uh, uh, my wife went through breast cancer, and I had some hearing problems that were terrifying, and I kept my head up, and I stayed optimistic, and I didn't drink, mm -hmm. and I stayed grateful, you know, through all of that. And it was really, really hard but but I kind of came to the conclusion I can be uncomfortable and grateful at the same time and that was that was a good lesson for me to learn so um, truly grateful man yeah I have a I have a practice I started uh, I, somebody recommended that I didn't come up with it but I try uh, every once a week every Sunday I try to write down just at least a bullet force myself to, to go back through the week and list some things that happened that I'm grateful for. And every time I'm surprised when I go back in the memory bank and I think, oh yeah, that, mm. oh yeah, that. And it's almost like we just, we want to purge mm. that stuff. And yeah. so we have to have to do that. La last piece here, and then I'll let you go. Um, your uh, song, Better Boat, mm -hmm. Kenny Chesney uh, cut that, I guess. Yep. And um, I love this line. In fact, uh, if the book wasn't finished, I would ask you to let me quote this part sure. too, because this is, but this, this part where you say, I breathe in, I breathe out, uh, got friends to call who let me talk about what ain't working, what's still hurting, all the things I feel like cussing out. Now and then I let it go around the waves ride, ride, I ride the waves I'm sorry mm -hmm. uh, I can't control uh, I'm learning how to build a better boat just as if you could just maybe yeah, just talk well, a little bit about well uh, uh, obviously when you when you go to that many recovery meetings I changed all of my friends you know I, I was I surrounded myself with people in recovery and you know kind of a, like an incubator after the, the the last trip to rehab I had to change something so I changed my playmates and my playgrounds and I started hanging out with with you know for the most part you know surrounding myself with people in recovery and I learned a great deal about myself and a great deal about recovery and of course you, you immerse yourself in anything and you're going to start learning and going to recovery meetings I, I heard some things that were that were I heard some funny things I heard some scary things I, some things that you know I, I, I don't care about at all that's just stupid and I heard some things that were life-changing as well and yeah. one of them one of one of many that were life-changing for me was um somebody said you know uh, serenity is what we're looking for serenity and uh, that's what we want and we're striving for it and uh, and and sometimes people you know they use drugs they use shopping they use whatever but but what you're really looking for is peace of mind peace in your heart so you can sleep to get rid of the chaos right. and the noise and the snakes in your head serenity is not found in a calmer sea serenity is found in the building of a better boat uh, in other words you know a lot of us including myself you spend you know well God, I just I wish I had this job instead of that one right right people right. places and things well I wish man I wish I'd have married that girl instead of this one I wish if I if everything would be better if I had this much money and the reality is, it, you know, it, it's it's not the it's not the circumstances. It's it's the way that you react to it. You know, if you, you take a pie chart, you know, and and just list 
anything you want to name, family, friends, job, career, taxes, government, you don't have control over any of that, if you think about it. It's, it's enough to drive you crazy. Like, man, I'm really, I don't have any control at all. You get a little thin slice, and it's the way that you react to it. Because you can't, you can't fix your wife. You can't fix your children. You, you, can, you know, you can, you can give them wisdom. You can tell them, but, it, but they're individual. You can't fix anything. Uh, but the one thing you do have control over is the way that you react. So the better bow, you know, uh, uh, you can, you can pray for calmer weather, but, but the smarter thing to do is work on the boat and make sure that sucker floats mm. and survives the storm. So that was really life changing for me. And, and I wrote it down and, uh, and then I was writing with, uh, Liz Rose one day, a friend of mine, great writer, told her the idea. And, um, and that's kind of where that song came from. And, uh, and, uh, he put it on hold for, uh, Said he was going to record it two or three years ago on a couple of records back, and he didn't. And uh, um, but then this this record cycle, he you know they brought it back up and he recorded it, and released it as a single, and uh, there again just like Riser, it didn't do. I just knew that was going to be my ticket to a top ten. I've only had three songs on the radio. I've had a lot of success and and uh, and uh, you know some some great opportunities writing with some great guys. Um, and then recording my songs, but I've actually only had three on the on the radio, um, and 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 I thought, well, this is it. This is my big shot. I can at least get to the top ten, and um, and it tanked uh, at twenty four. Actually, surprisingly, um, the same exact spot riser stopped at twenty four. A lot of people are like, man, what does it feel like to have a number one? I'm like, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I had never come close, mm-hmm. but twenty four was where that uh, riser stopped. With that said, I'm grateful. Everybody in this town wanted a song on that record, much less a single, and I got it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I did myself a, a, a huge favor one day and went to uh, his YouTube channel on his version of Better Boat and started reading the comments. Mm-hmm. And, um, man, it was amazing. You know, anything from, you know, I'm going through a divorce, this song is, is saving my sanity. My father just died. This song has got me through it, you know. It's incredibly moving um, stories. And, um, and, of course, you know, they, the general public doesn't have any idea. They're just thanking Kenny for that, you know. But I'm, but I'm reading those comments and, and kind of going, this is it's pretty dang awesome. So, anyway, yeah, it's... Uh, it's been good, man. Yeah, I read some of those too. I thought the same thing. P- powerful, powerful words. Yeah. So, uh, thank you. Uh, thanks for this time, and sure, you're just so gracious. And um, thanks for your story, uh, your transparency, your authenticity, um, and just seeing all that through. I'm, I'm inspired. Well, thank you. Uh, I know. I've heard you say, you know, it's not your, it's not your job necessarily to inspire me. That's a, that's a heavy load. But I am, I am inspired, and, and, and just by your truthfulness, and, uh, and I thank you for that. And uh, thanks for, for taking this time. People want to learn more about you. They can go to travismeadows.com. I think it is. Yeah, travismeadows.com. That's, that's one-stop shopping. That, yeah. Everything from links to merchandise to, yeah, it's yeah. all there. That'd be yeah. a good, good place to go first. I encourage, uh, anybody to get a chance to hear Travis, uh, live. Um, you don't want to miss it. So, uh, uh, check that out. But thanks. And again. I want, I want that book when it comes up. You sure got one. Get a copy. You, you got one. I appreciate that's it. Great. Well, there you have it. That was my interview with Travis Meadows. What an honor and privilege it was to spend that time with him. 
obviously you heard his story, you heard um, just his heart and the kind of person that he is. I'd encourage you, if you get a chance, uh, check out Travis's music, go to his website. If you get a chance to see him live, I've had the privilege of doing that. You won't be disappointed. Just a truly genuine, nice guy who makes great, great music. So check him out. Mm -hmm.